Today on Event or Else, The Beyonder spends the entire issue on an island sitting and thinking. That's uh, that's about it. I mean, how in the hell am I going to make an episode out of that? Here it is, folks. Plant the grain and make it rain. It's time for Event or Else, the podcast where I go through most every major Marvel and DC event, one issue at a time, one episode at a time, because, well, I accidentally fed the mogwai after midnight, and this is my punishment. I'm your host. My name is Steven, and today we take one more step through that grubby swamp that is Secret Wars 2 with issue number seven. This issue sports a cover date of January 1986, but it actually hit the stands in October 1985. It sold for 75 cents, and it is entitled Charge of the Dark Brigade. It was written by Jim Shooter, pencils by Al Milgram, inks by Steve Lealoha, letters were by Rick Parker, and the colors were by Juliana Ferreter. Our issue opens with Mephisto and Death spending a bit of social time together down in Mephisto's hellish dark dimension. The Marvel Universe's version of the devil has been keeping an eye on the Beyonder, worried over the whole affair from the last issue when the one from Beyond killed Death. Sure, moments after Death's destruction, the Beyonder changed his mind and brought her back, but what's to stop him next time when his mind swings back the other way? Well, Mephisto has a plan. He takes Death into another room to show her his latest creation, the mightiest machine ever constructed, an engine of evil power beyond kin. A leaky faucetinator! Nope, this is the Beyonder's Bane. It seems that the energy that the Beyonder expelled to eliminate Death in the previous issue, well, as Mephisto tells Death, he expended an extraordinary amount of energy to destroy you. But energy is never truly lost, and the spent energy would have slowly returned to him once he caused your rebirth. Except that I intercepted it, siphoned it away into my device. It is held therein, though just barely. So potent is this fraction of power that no vessel save the body of the Beyonder himself can long contain it. In other words, Mephisto knows that back during the Secret Wars on Battleworld, Doctor Doom had stolen a bit of the Beyonder's power, and because of that, until the Beyonder was able to get it back, he was vulnerable, and Mephisto can't help but wonder if the same can be said now. Meanwhile, the Beyonder is sitting alone on an unnamed South Pacific island, deep in thought, dipping his toes in the ocean, when a speedboat comes screaming up. At the wheel is Ed Strunk from the next island over. He noticed that someone was living here on the Beyonder's Island and was just coming over to see what's what and see if maybe the Beyonder has any magazines or maybe some Jack Daniels. Last night he's swimming in Jack Daniels and now he can leave tall buildings in a single bound. Sadly, the Beyonder does not. Instead, he tells Ed that he's just thinking. And Ed, well, Ed thinks that thinking is a pretty great idea. At that moment, 115 miles to the south, Ben Grimm, also known as the ever-loving blue-eyed thing, is making a film in which he's fighting off alien invaders, which I guess makes it less of a film and more of a movie. You know, because of semantics. Holy semantics, Batman. Anyway, as the production takes a break, Hopper Hurt Kearney arrives in his seaplane to deliver the mail. 
He and the Thing are friendly acquaintances, and as they have a beer together, Kurt Kearney mentions the events in a previous tie-in issue in which the Thing wrestled the Beyonder as part of the Unlimited Class Wrestling Federation that the Thing had at one time been a part of. Well, just hearing the name The Beyonder causes the Thing to overreact and accidentally crush a case of beer in his hands. See, while the Thing was on Battleworld, taken there with the other heroes by the Beyonder back in the Marvel Superhero Secret Wars event, he discovered that he could change back and forth from the Thing to Ben Grimm and back again whenever he damn well pleased. And so he decided to stay on Battleworld when the others left so that he could try and figure things out. Well, after finally getting back to Earth, Ben learns that his longtime love, Alicia Masters, has shacked up with Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, and resident Marvel Dick. That is your name. Dick. This destroys Ben, and so he quits the Fantastic Four and sets off to walk the Earth, and he blames all of it on the Beyonder. But then he finally had the chance to do something about it when he was scheduled to wrestle the Beyonder, and while, yeah, the thing did win, there was a moment where he wanted to kill the Beyonder, but, of course, he didn't. But yeah, he's still pretty pissed off about the whole thing. Two days later, on Beyonder Island, as the Beyonder continues to sit and think, Ed shows up with a boat full of people who want to sit and think right along with him. And so they do just that. In the meantime, a cigarette-smoking green dude with pointy ears by the name of Mr. Bitterhorn visits the Juggernaut, then Electro, then Baron Mordo, and finally the Absorbing Man in Titania. He's making deals with supervillains for Mephisto, and so far, each one has agreed to the terms. Back in Mephisto's realm, with fire and smoke and the screams of the damned all around them, Mephisto and Death watch a news report on the TV about some sort of guru on an island in the South Seas who has inspired folks looking for enlightenment to do as he does and simply sit and think about it. Mephisto then spells out his plan to death. All of the villains he's recruited, 98 of the most powerful in the world and the Vulture, have been marked by Bitterhorn, which links each one of them to the Beyonder's Bane. When the time is right, he will send the villains in to attack. If the Beyonder uses any of his power against the villains, or if any of the villains even just touch the Beyonder, a mystic circuit will trip, and then all of the power trapped within the Beyonder's Bane will surge back into the Beyonder so suddenly, so overwhelmingly, that it will destroy him in, quote, a cataclysmic fireball of naked energy, end quote. Of course, the explosion will also destroy the Earth and a third of the universe, but, you know, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs and stuff, am I right? Anyway, just in case the power locked within the Beyonder's Bane isn't enough to take out the Beyonder once and for all, Mephisto has made arrangements with all of the various cosmic beings that we saw in the last issue to add their power to the mix, meaning that in one brief instant, all of the power in the universe will be added to what Mephisto already has. Furthermore, none other than Eternity will be the Trigger Man. Back on Earth, the Beyonder's Island of Thinkers gains worldwide attention, bringing the news media and people from around the world to emulate his example. 
When news reaches the Denver suburb where the Molecule Man lives with his girlfriend, Marsha, Owen excuses himself from an evening of trivial pursuit with the neighbors to probe the universe. Marsha follows Owen into the bedroom, which has now become a gateway to the universe, where Owen is doing his probing. He tells her that it seems that all of the powers in the universe have conspired to end the Beyonder's life. But they're being so clever about it, the Beyonder has no clue what's about to come his way. And while Owen feels like he should help his Beyond bud, he's a little torn. There's a part of him that wants the universe to succeed. Marsha makes his decision for him, telling him that they have guests, that it's not polite to leave them alone, and that he needs to get back out there into the living room to continue their game of trivial pursuit. Meanwhile, the news of the Beyonder's Island of Thinkers reaches the television sets of various members in the superhuman community, such as the X-Men and the New Mutants, whose leader Magneto adopts a wait-and-see strategy. When Spider-Man sees the news, he wonders if the Beyonder's sit-and-think movement might help him get his life in order. But finally, when the Thing sees the news, he gets all kinds of angry, crushing more beer. But wiser you created a monster, and they call him Frankenstein. Sometime later, in a cavern far beneath Thinker's Island, Mephisto has gathered his Legion accursed. They only wait for eternity to complete the process of focusing his own awesome power, which I guess takes some time, and then they can strike. But they need to do so soon as the power gathered in the Beyonder's Bane, if not used pretty darn quick, is going to cause a meltdown, destroying the machine and Mephisto's plans, and probably the Earth as well, or maybe not. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Anyway, as they wait, Mephisto checks in with the Beyonder to make sure he's still just sitting there on the island above. And while he is, Mephisto can see that Ed Strunk is updating him on the hundreds and hundreds of people already on the island and who are also on the way. The Beyonder, who isn't too happy about all these posers horning in on his thing, wonders aloud if he should leave, which causes Mephisto to panic. He can't have the Beyonder leaving not on the eve of his destruction, because it'll ruin his destruction. So in order to try and keep the Beyonder there on the island, Mephisto plans a little diversion, which happens to involve Ben Grimm, the ever-loving blue-eyed thing. Ben, sleeping and dreaming about all the troubles he's had since the Beyonder took him to Battleworld, wakes to find his dad standing at the foot of the bed. His dad gives him some crap for letting the Beyonder get away with ruin in his life. Soon, his dad is replaced by Ben's old coach, followed by Susan Storm and then Alicia Masters, all pushing at him to do something about the Beyonder. Finally, it's his wrestling manager standing there, handing Ben the contract for his next match. All the thing has to do is sign on the dotted line, then he can, quote, settle up with this Beyonder guy, end quote. Ben signs and is then out the door and jumping into the ocean, swimming to Thinker's Island to give the Beyonder what for. But oh no, it wasn't the thing's manager at all. Nor was it Alicia Masters or Susan Storm or his old coach or even his dad. It was Mephisto the entire time who just tricked the thing into not only going after the Beyonder for him, 
but signing away his soul as well. But it's okay, because in return, Mephisto increased the thing's power a hundredfold. So it all worked out. At that moment on Thinker's Island, the Beyonder is about to hit the bricks when the thing arrives, destroying boats and such as he comes trudging onto the beach from the ocean. The thing tells the Beyonder that he's there to kill him, and the Beyonder asks Ben if they can talk about it as he still sits, still thinking away. Ed Strunk puts himself between the thing and the Beyonder, telling Ben that this is no way for a hero to behave. And as it appears that Ben is suddenly having himself some second thoughts, Mephisto unleashes his Legion Accursed. 98 of the worst and most powerful supervillains in the world and the Vulture erupt from the caverns below and attack. The Beyonder refuses to defend himself and remains on his rock, chin perched atop his fist as he gets some real good thinking in. The Thing, seeing that the Beyonder is about to be trounced, leaps to his defense, and with the increased strength given to him by Mephisto, throws down upon the villains. Mephisto, realizing that the Thing just might succeed in stopping every one of the villains from touching the Beyonder, which, as we said, is all they need to do, rips up Ben's contract, reducing his strength to what it was, which is, be fair, still practically Hulk level. And the only villain to remain standing is the Juggernaut. I'm the Juggernaut, bitch! No, I can't do that. Anyway, the thing manages to keep the Juggernaut away from the Beyonder long enough for the Beyonder's Bane machine to melt down, which doesn't take the Earth with it at all. So, yeah, that's good. Mephisto, his plan ruined, is helpless as death abandons him. Eternity 2 leaves the scene as the other cosmic entities go back to doing their own things. Even Owen Reese, in the middle of game night with Marsha and the neighbors, breathes a sigh of relief. And yet, he can't help but wish that the Beyonder would have been destroyed because he knows nothing good will come out of this and that eventually he's gonna have to get involved, which he definitely does not want to do. Meanwhile, on Thinker's Island, the thing passes out. And as the issue ends, the Beyonder realizes that as he's been sitting there thinking about his role in the multiverse, he was helping others find theirs. Like the thing, who is about to become a murderer by killing the Beyonder, was shown that he has always been meant to be a hero. And so the Beyonder decides that what he should do with his life is to teach others in existence what their true roles are. And with our synopsis complete, it's time for the triumphant return of the top three things to dwell on. The top three things to dwell on are three moments in the book that I feel need to be given just a bit more thought. They might be funny moments, they might be stupid moments, they could even be moments of serious drama that make me feel a little something in my heart. Regardless of emotional impact, they are moments that I think are worth the time to revisit. Thing to dwell on number three, the Beyonder thinks, thinks some more, does some thinking before doing some thinking, and then he thinks some more. So yeah, from page one, we see the Beyonder sitting on this island and he is just thinking. He's thinking about his life, the universe, and everything and thinking about his place within it. And there he stays for the entire issue. 
Now he does, between panels, change his clothes at least three times because his clothes do change throughout the course of this issue. But since he told Ed at one point that he's avoided using energy for anything except thinking, I have to assume that he meant power because the fact that his clothes changed means that he got up and changed them at least three times. Otherwise, he's just been sitting and thinking. And I found that an odd choice to have our main character do nothing at all during an entire issue. And yet at the same time, I think it kind of works. I mean, this might actually be my, well, I'm going to save that until later. Stick around. Thing to dwell on number two, even the lava pits of hell can't wipe away my smile. Okay. (laughs) So at the end of the issue, when Mephisto loses, he is so full of grief and self-pity that we get a panel with the following narration. At that moment in the pits, for a moment, the wretched forget their own pain. And we see like hundreds of people tied together and suspended over a lava pool. And we also see people in the lava pool and all of them are smiling. In fact, one of the dudes in the lava pool actually says, how comforting. I mean, (laughs) that's all kinds of creepy. They look like they're they're just enjoying themselves in the pool, you know, just having a good time. Big smiles on their faces. These people hanging, suspended over the lava pits. They're all smiling. It just seems creepy. But, you know, I guess even in the ever torturing pits of hell, some joy can be found. And that's one to grow on. Thing to dwell on. Number one, a blob of villains. So. In the previous episode, I said that I was looking forward to seeing what they do with the villains in this issue because the end of issue six said that we're getting a great big bunch of villains. And I postulated that we might get them for maybe a couple of panels, that it would be super quick and wouldn't feel epic in any way. And actually, this is what I said. I think I'm more excited to find out how they're going to present all of these villains in issue number seven. Because so far, whenever they've made statements like that, this is going to be the biggest thing of all time. You get like three panels of that thing. So yeah, I was pretty much right. Each time we are presented with the 99 villains in this issue, they are all just massed together like a big blob of villains. And yet, damn it, it was still kind of fun. I guess I'm just a sucker for a big mass of villains all pressed together, yelling and screaming and running and fighting and all that. It was quick. It was not epic at all. Didn't feel that way anyway, but it was still kind of fun seeing all those freaking villains together. It was pretty neat. And those were the top three things to dwell on. So now we come to that time in the show where I wrap it all up and I tell you how I feel about the book in general. Uh, This one might actually be my favorite issue of the event so far, which is really saying something because here we are, seven issues in, just two to go, and I still really don't feel like anything has happened. I mean, all kinds of shit has happened. We've had so much crap thrown at us from issue one that when I try to think back at everything that's gone on so far to get us where we are now, I get a little dizzy and I want to pass out. And yet it still feels like 
nothing has happened. Plus, I still don't understand the point of this event. All right, so let's let's look back at the 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 two previous events that we've done so far. Marvel superheroes Secret Wars. The Beyonder pulls a bunch of superheroes and supervillains onto an alien planet and then has them fight each other so that he can see what happens. That is a very basic super basic concept and premise, but I still understand it. I I you know, I know what that book was about. It was just a big punch fest. It was fun. Then we got Crisis on Infinite Earths. The Anti-Monitor is destroying the multiverse so that he can be the ultimate power in the antimatter universe and the heroes must stop him. That that's a premise I can get behind as well. I understand that it makes sense. No confusion there. But when we come to this one, Secret Wars 2, I I guess the concept here is the Beyonder comes to Earth and goes through a series of silly scenarios to try and determine his purpose in life, or just simply the Beyonder tries to find himself. So, I mean, yeah, I guess I get that. that. That's a concept I can understand. It's a premise that makes sense to me. But what I don't get, what I just don't understand is how or even why anyone would use that concept to create what is supposed to be an epic comic book event set in a universe full of colorfully dressed superheroes. Because frankly, if someone were to do something like that, then yeah, we would get something like Secret Wars 2, which be honest, so far has been quite the turd. Your logic makes me feel like a dick. Now, don't get me wrong. I am having quite a lot of fun (laughs) with this event, but only because it's just so bad. I'm basically having a ball trying to wrap my mind around just how terrible this event is. And that, well, that can be a lot of fun. I'd really be interested, though, to find out what all y'all think. So if you have any thoughts, event or else at gmail.com, let me know, please. Oh, don't trouble. That then leads us to the next big question. After seven issues, do I think my feelings toward this event would be different had I been reading the tie-ins? And my answer to that is no. Not at all. Based on what we've gotten so far in these first seven issues, along with the memory of the few tie-in issues that I do remember reading, I just can't imagine how they could possibly bring any sense of enjoyment to this story. If anything, reading those tie-ins may just suck all the fun out of how much I'm not enjoying this event. And I have to walk away from this with something positive, right? I just have to. But yeah, issue number seven, not great, but (laughs) it's my favorite of the event so far, probably just because this whole idea that we've had the Beyonder for six issues, just getting into all kinds of mischief, just doing all kinds of crazy things. And in this one, he's literally sitting on a rock on an island thinking. That's all he does in the entire issue. So everyone else in his surroundings, I guess. Everyone else has to carry the issue. We have to have Ben, who is just super upset at the Beyonder, blames all his problems on the Beyonder because he decided to stay behind on Battleworld, which I guess gave Johnny and Alicia time to get to know each other. And my complete and total respect for Alicia Masters was flushed down the toilet 
when she decided that Johnny was a good dude and was going to shack up with him rather than being with Ben, which if I can just go on a slight tangent for a second, that for me just completely ruins the idea behind the Alicia Masters, Ben Grimm relationship, period. She's a blind woman. She sculpts. She's an artist, but she's blind. And so the idea here is that love is blind. She can't see the thing. She can't see that he's this huge hulking rock monster. She knows that he is because she can feel him, of course, with her hands. She can see him with her hands. And yet, despite the way he looks, she still loves him because love is blind. But apparently, love is not blind to someone being an asshole because Johnny Storm's an asshole. And for some reason, she finds something within this blonde-haired, blue-eyed, rich, perfect little dick that she just falls in love with. I'm a little angry about that, aren't I? Maybe that's something I should look into. That's That probably says a lot about myself. Anyway, let's talk about what we can look forward to next week. So here's what it says at the end of this issue. Next, the story continues in New Mutants number 36, in which the Beyonders attempt to rid magic of her dark child side leads to disastrous consequences. And in The Amazing Spider-Man number 273, the Puma enlists Spider-Man in an attempt to assassinate the Beyonder. And in X-Men number 202, the Beyonder imbues Rachel with power cosmic that dwarfs her own Phoenix powers and then gives her the opportunity to atone for her mother's sins and her own. You must not miss this. In Defenders number 152, the final issue, the Defenders meet their ultimate fate in awesome combat. What else do you need to know? That's, that's not me asking that question. That is part of the coming up next descriptive text. But we're not done. In Spectacular Spider-Man number 111, the Beyonder helps the Puma to find his true purpose in life, though it means the Beyonder's own death. Can Spider-Man save him? Should he? One month from now, uh, a week in our time, the threads of our tale are gathered again in Secret Wars number eight, which guest stars the X-Men in full-fledged battle against the Beyonder, Spider-Man, the Hulk, and the New Mutants. Be here for betrayal. So yeah, that's five tie-in issues between issues seven and eight. That has to be the most we've had so far, right? Uh, let me look. Okay, so we had four tie-in issues between issues one and two, three tie-ins between issues two and three, three tie-ins between issues three and four, four tie-ins between issues four and five, three tie-ins between issues five and six, and five tie-ins between issues six and seven. So, no, this is not the most tie-ins we've had so far. This is ties with what we had between six and seven, which, you know, actually that makes me curious to look ahead and, uh, wow, five more tie-ins between issues eight and nine and <laughs> one more tie-in issue after the final issue. Good Lord. That is a great big bunch of nonsense that Marvel wants all of us to read. But 
you know what? We're almost done. Just two issues left, and then we can stick a fork in this one or maybe an axe. So be back here next week for Secret Wars 2, issue number eight. And who knows? Maybe this will be the issue that finally sucks me in. Hope springs eternal, folks. Event or Else is a Stephen or Else production. Find more great podcasts at stephenorelse.com. Questions and comments can be directed to eventorelse at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr. And in return, I'm going to do my very best to get you and your fellow patrons episodes just like this one before anybody else. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share this episode with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. There's a snort. <laughs> uh, that may go at the end of the sentence. It better. It sold for 75 cents and it is entitled Charge of the Dark Brigade. Charge of the Dark Brigade. 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 That no vessel save the body of the Beyonder. They only wait for. Mephisto can see that Ed Strunk. The Beyonder, who isn't too happy about all these posers horning in on the thing. <clears throat> it's his wrestling manager. <laughs> Meanwhile, on thing. <laughs> like the thing, who is about to become a murderer by killing the Beyonder. <laughs> who is about to become a murderer by killing the Beyonder was shown. <laughs> At that moment, in the pits. For a moment. <clears throat> At that moment. <laughs> Go away!